In 2001, way back before some of you guys or all of you were born, I was serving in a church down in Austin, and it was was a pretty large church. And because of the size of the church, I got invited to this conference that was for uh, youth ministers at large churches. And so it was kind of this exclusive deal because in the world of large churches, youth ministry looks different than it does in, in a smaller church. And so I went to this conference, and it was a small thing. It's like 20 to 30 guys, and, and everybody's just sharing ideas. They gave everybody like a box, and inside the box was all of the retreats, all of the disciple nows, all of the calendars, all of the things that each of those churches had done during the course of the year. So it was like, it was like a youth minister Christmas party, like to open it up and see all these ideas. And I loved it. It was, it, it was amazing. And that was the last year they did it. The first year I got to go was it. I never got to go back. And so several years went by. It was like 2008 or 2009. And I I was talking to the lady who was in charge of it. And I told her, I said, you know, that was such an incredible conference. I wish we could do it again. I said, if you ever think about doing it, I'd love, I'll come in and help. I'll help uh, recruit people. I'll do anything that we can do to make it happen because I'd love to do it. And she said, that's a great idea. I'll think about it. And about six months later, she came back to me. It was early 2010, and she said, hey, we're going to do it. I had a couple other guys that come along and, and ask something about it. So I'm going to put you and two other guys as the steering committee. We're going to send out the letters to uh, the large churches and invite them to San Antonio uh, this October, and we're going to stay at a hotel, and then we will meet down in the, one of the conference rooms or ballrooms of the hotel and do the conference. I said, fantastic. So we started working for the next nine months of getting that thing all planned. A few months before uh, October, she came to me and she said, hey, since it's in San Antonio and you're in Georgetown, would you be willing to bring like one of your church vans or a church shuttle, uh, drive down so that when we all go out to eat lunch, or we go out to dinner, we can all get in you know, one or two vehicles instead of everybody taking four passenger cars? I said, sure, I'll do that. So now I'm helping plan and I'm also in charge of transportation. Well, as September was coming to an end, one of the three guys on that team was a youth minister down in the Houston area near NASA, and one of his youth workers was going to be piloting the space shuttle into outer space, which is pretty cool. And so that guy said, hey, I want you to come to the launch and watch the space shuttle launch. So one of the steering committee, there's three of us, one of them calls in, and he goes, hey, I'm out. I'm not coming in October because I'm going to go watch the space shuttle launch. So there's down to two of us. That's okay. It's no big deal. Right about that time as October's coming along, the story began to shift because I'm a lifelong San Francisco Giants baseball fan. And if you're a Rangers fan, you know what happened in 2010. The Rangers and the Giants met in the World Series. I, 1950s was the last time the Giants had won a World Series. I wasn't, I wasn't alive. 1988, I, I was in high school, watched them lose to the A's. In 2002, I was living in Georgetown. I watched them blow a three-game, three-to-two-game lead and lose to the Angels. And 2010 rolls around. They're in the World Series. They're playing the Rangers, which means they're going to play at least two games in Arlington, Texas. But I don't know if you know anything about World Series tickets. They are, they're, not in the, they're not in the ministerial ballpark of salaries. You know, you have to like, own Dell or something like that to go to a World Series game. And so but I was just excited that they were here. And so it just so happened that game five of the World Series was going to be played in Arlington while I was in San Antonio at the conference. And two days before I left for the conference, I got a phone call from somebody and they said, hey, I've got a ticket to World Series game five. I know you're a Giants fan. If you want to go, you can have it. 
not buy it, you can have it. And I, I remember it was, it was <laughs> one of the most difficult decisions I've ever made in my life. I made a commitment, though, to go to this youth minister conference and make it happen. I was in charge of driving, and the guy had already bailed. And so I had to tell that person, man, thank you. I appreciate it, but I've already got a commitment. And I sat in the Holiday Inn Hotel in San Antonio, like watching the Giants win that game to win the World Series, like sitting there going, what have I done? Like, now, that sounds like a big deal that I gave up. And the reason why it sounds like a big deal is because it was a big deal. It was a huge deal that I still regret sometimes. I, I would love to say, I would love to say that on a regular basis, my life is about denying myself for kingdom things. That, that's a, that is a story that where I did. But I feel like, and it's not like I charted, I don't know, but I feel like I, I choose me over the Lord or I choose me over other people way more often than I want to. And I think, I think you probably would agree in your own life that we do that a lot. We started this series, Game of Life, and this week we're, we're talking about denying self because the research shows, and that's what we've been doing, eight weeks of looking at what research shows are characteristics of spiritually mature people so that we know where we're heading to, and then looking at what the Scripture says about that as well. We know from research, not just my opinion, that spiritually mature people make, the, make the, the desires of God a priority in their life over their own desires. That's a mark of spiritual maturity. That somebody can go, you know what? I want to do this, but the Lord would have me do this. And as much as I want to do this because I'm spiritually mature and I'm walking with the Lord, I'm going to do what God would have me do because that is, that's more important. Now, here, here's the irony. When I do that, and I think you would understand this. You just saw the video of students who went on the mission trip. They'd tell you this. It, it is not like to, to think to give up, to, to raise $880 to fly to Northern California and shovel granite and mulch and, and work hard all during your spring break. People go and people of Tracer go, you guys are crazy. But I guarantee you those students came back feeling closer to God than they had before they left. And they had some great experiences they sensed their own discipleship, their own spiritual life growing because they said no to their own desires, which could have been all kinds of fun things during spring break. And not that we didn't have fun, we did have fun. But they went and said, you know what? I'm gonna go serve the Lord. I'm gonna put his desires and kingdom things above mine. And the irony is we walked out going, man, I'm glad I did that. I feel closer to God when I'm sacrificing my own self for him. I feel better about myself. I mean, I feel happier. That's the ironic thing, but I get like the spiritual amnesia. I forget when these, when these opportunities come and I have a choice to choose the priorities of the kingdom or my priorities, I forget that I actually enjoy doing the things of God more. And so I, I do stupid things. Y'all know, know what a Cadbury egg is, right? Y'all have those? You love those? Oh, man, I hope they're in heaven. It's, I really hope. If you don't know what it is, when you leave Collide tonight, your application um, is going to be, go get a Cadbury egg. It's that, that fantastic. Chocolate shell, you bite the top off, and there's just like, it's like a liquid sugar inside. I mean, I mean you, can, you, can, you can take three or four years off your life for every Cadbury egg, but they're so good. So I go home the other day, and I walk into my pantry, and, and I see kind of like eye level for me. My wife has bought a few days ago a, a package of Cadbury eggs. They came in like a package of three or four. There's not a whole lot of them. And I walk in, and I haven't had any, 
and there's one left. And it's not like we're about to eat dinner. Like kids are like sitting at the dinner table. I can't like take it and like walk out while we're about to eat like dinner and be like, I'm having a Cadbury egg for dinner. And so here's what I did. This is so sad. I took it and hid it on the top shelf where nobody would see it. Now, now here's the crazy thing. I can afford more Cadbury eggs. That wasn't the last one in Georgetown. You know, it wasn't like, oh, H-E-B's out and Walmart's out, you know, Round Rock doesn't have any. I could go to the store and buy three or four boxes and, and still pay my bills. I also know, like, I don't need it. Like, like, I'm already about 20 pounds overweight. I don't need the Cadbury egg. I can afford more. I don't need it. And I also know that my kids, my 10-year-old and my 7-year-old, cute little kids love Cadbury eggs. And I was like, not for them. <laughs> Forget you, crumb snatchers. Like, and hide it. My wife comes in a little later. and She's like, hey, who ate, who ate the last Cadbury egg? I didn't lie. I didn't need it. Well, it was hidden for I could eat it later. Like, I look back and I go, how, silly, how selfish is that? I mean, it's silly, right? I, but I, I just, I, I fall into that mode. Like self over others. Self over the things of God. Spiritually mature people put the priority of, uh, of God's will over their own will. And so that's something I'm growing in, something you're growing in. That's why in the scripture we read and we, we don't see a whole lot of it. Our staff uh, went through it a couple months ago. We talked about fasting. If you don't know what fasting is, fasting is doing without something, the very general explanation, doing without something to replace it with the things of God. So in the scripture, fasting was going without food. And that is the, that, that's kind of the most common experience. And the interesting thing is in Jesus, if you read what Jesus says, Jesus doesn't say, hey, uh, you should consider fasting. Jesus in the gospel doesn't say, hey, it's a great idea. Think about it. Jesus says, when you fast. So there is this idea from God that we were going to practice going without things that we need in order to replace that time with the things of God. So when someone fasts, they skip breakfast and lunch and dinner. And in, those play, that, in that time on their calendar, they get into the Word. They skip their lunch and they start reading God's Word and spending time talking to the Lord. And here's what's incredible about that discipline. There are some medical benefits to fasting, but the spiritual benefits, one of them is that you learn how to deny yourself the things that you need, right? Because you need food. You deny yourself the things that you need in order to feast on the Word of God. And when you start practicing that spiritual discipline that, that believers have done over the course of ages, you start to learn how to deny yourself the need, it becomes much easier to deny yourself your wants for the things of God. And, and it's hard. Like we used to do, I remember our eighth graders every year used to do the 30-hour famine with World Vision. World Vision is a great organization that uh, help, helps people in impoverished countries. And so one of the things World Vision does is they ask students to, to do a fundraiser, and during their fundraiser, they go 30 hours without eating, just drinking liquid water and don't eat for 30 hours. And so our eighth graders would do it, and, and, and so my wife works in the eighth grade, so like even she would try it. And it, it was crazy because you have students that would come in, and I'd go, hey, how's it going? And they'd go, man, I quit. And I'm like, well, how long did you last? And they're like, three and a half hours. I'm like, what? Well, like, yeah, I skipped breakfast. But when I got to lunch, I was about to die. And I had to, like, I had to quit. And then you have the students who, man, they could make it like 12 hours and 14 hours. And, and they were like, man, there's no way. And you had a few kids that made it the, an entire 30 hours without food. 
to feel what it was like to be hungry. You know what the ironic thing is? You don't even know what it's really like to be hungry at 30 hours because your body doesn't go into starvation mode until about 72 hours. That's when you think you get lightheaded and stuff at 30 hours. At 72 hours, sometimes it's hard to stand. You get dizzy. You can be laying in bed trying to go to sleep and your whole body aches because your body is screaming at you going, hey, moron, feed me. That's what your body's, your body's going, I'm starving. And so it's doing everything it can. And after you get through that, it gets a little easier because your body goes into starvation mode and, and you, you really start, it doesn't hurt as bad. But 30 hours, you're not even halfway there to that experience of what it's like to say no to the things that you need for the things of God. It's an incredible experience and a great discipline. And so that's what spiritually mature people do. Well, tonight we're going to look at one passage of Scripture. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to look at one verse. If you've grown up in the church or you've been around a church, you will probably be familiar with this. This is one of those underlinable verses. And if you have your Bible, you ought to underline it so you can find this one when you need it. If you have somebody else's Bible, underline it for them. They'll thank you later. Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus looked at his friends and said, if any one of you guys is going to come after me, you want to walk my walk, you've got to deny yourself, you've got to take up your cross, we'll talk about that in a second, and then come follow me. Let's, let's put this into perspective, though, of what's happening in this passage of Scripture. So Jesus' disciples, they have, for all of their life, been waiting for the Messiah to show up. They've listened to stories from their, their parents and their great-grandparents, uh, and, and these stories have been passed along uh, of the history of God, that God is at work, and that God is going to, one day, for the Jewish people, bring the Messiah who is going to save his people. But for most of the disciples and most of the Jewish people in that time, their idea of what the Messiah was going to, to be was more like a political savior than a spiritual savior. See, the, the Jews had been under uh, Roman rule. So in their town, there's Roman soldiers that walk around and they pay taxes to Rome and they are waiting. One day, one day God is gonna show up again and he's gonna send the Messiah, he's gonna send the Christ and the Christ is gonna come and, and freedom's gonna be delivered and we're not going to be under Roman rule anymore. And so they're waiting for this guy to come in and like kick butt and take names. But God's plan wasn't a political freedom, it was a spiritual freedom. Because you, you can survive, you can survive under the thumb of, a, of an oppressive government. But you can't survive under the oppressive thumb of Satan. You, 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 can't, you don't want to spend eternity separated from God. God was more concerned about eternity than he was the political time and what was happening in those days. And so Jesus came and he's the Messiah. He's going to save people from their sins. But the disciples and other Jews, are, they're, they're looking for somebody different. And so the followers of Jesus, they're kind of cluing in of who Jesus is. And, and, and Jesus tells them right before he has this statement that we read, and we'll go back to in a second. He, he basically tells them, hey, guys, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be crucified. They're going to kill me. And so they're going, wait a second. And their minds are like, wait, but we, we thought you were the Messiah, you can't die. You're supposed to be king. Like, like how, what happens if you, this, doesn't, this doesn't compute for us? And so Peter, kind of the lead of the disciples, he pops up and he rebels against that idea. No way. There ain't any way that's going to happen. And Jesus rebukes Peter and puts Peter in his place because Peter doesn't understand what's going to happen. And so 
as the disciples are trying to, to wrestle with this idea that the Messiah is actually not going to be a political king that they're going to follow, Jesus says this, if any of you would come after me, if I'm going to be your king, if I'm going to be your leader, you got to deny yourself. You got to take up your cross and you got to come follow me. And we talk about denying ourselves. We talk about taking up our cross. That's kind of foreign to us. But for a Jewish person, they had seen people take the cross beam of the cross, that horizontal bar, and they had seen people put it over their shoulder and carry it to the place where they were going to be nailed to it. It was a symbol that Rome made people do oftentimes to carry that cross because it was a picture to everyone that, hey, this convict, this criminal has set himself up against Rome. He's, He's positioned himself against the government. And now one of his final acts is going to be to be submissive to that same government, and he's going to carry his own instrument of death to show you who's really in charge. It's a big deal. And Jesus says basically the same thing. If you want to follow me, if you're going to, because you, you had sin in your life, you'd set yourself up against the kingdom of God, you're going to have to submit to this kingdom. And you're going to have to be willing, quite honestly, to even go to your death. Now, here's the good news. You live in Texas in 2017. Highly unlikely that you're going to have to give your life to follow Jesus physically. Most likely, you're not going to have a time in your life where someone comes and says, because you're a Christian, I'm going to kill you. Could happen. Probably not. But you know what you will have to be willing to kill? Your own will. Your own desires. To say, God, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to put the things that I want to the side because kingdom things are more important to me. God, your will is a priority to me over my will. He says, you've got to uh, deny yourself, take up your cross and come follow me. See, soldiers get it. Back in Desert Storm during the Iraqi war, there was Sergeant First Class. His name was Paul Ray Smith. Paul Ray Smith was at the uh, Baghdad International Airport. It was an American aid station, been turned into an aid station at the airport. We weren't prepared, or our, our soldiers weren't, for a 100 or more uh, Iraqi soldier attack on that aid station. Paul Ray Smith was one of the soldiers there. And as the Iraqi soldiers attacked it, we weren't prepared for it. Sergeant First Class Smith grabbed his rifle, he grabbed an anti tank weapon, and he bunkered in and he started trading fire back and forth with the enemy. And there were more of them than there were of us. And they had this element of surprise, and we didn't. And as some of our soldiers started to retreat and try to run for cover so they didn't get shot, one of them laid down some cover, one of his fellow soldiers, and, and, and whistled for Paul Ray Smith. And we looked over, he said, come on, come on, come on. You can get back to safety. Sergeant First Class Smith gave him the cutthroat sign, I'm not going anywhere, I'm staying here. And he kept fighting to defend that position. And he was mortally wounded and died. Years later, President Bush gave the Medal of Honor to his 11-year-old son to say thank you for the sacrifice that your father gave. And here's what his wife said. She said, Paul is showing soldiers what it means to be a soldier. Military brat. My dad was there, not at that moment, but in Iraq at the time. And a soldier They know, I I have signed up, I put my life, I'm in the military, I I have surrendered myself to this flag, 
And if it costs me my life, it will cost me my life because I have aligned my life with this flag in this country. And Jesus, Jesus says to disciples, you want to follow me? You deny yourself. You got you to take up your cross. You got to be willing to say, hey, if my life, my life is underneath the banner of the Lord. And if, it, if it's called of me, then I'll give it. But I wonder how many of us are ready for that. Spiritually mature are. That's what research says. Spiritually mature people understand that denying themselves and taking up their cross is a part of following the Lord. And Jesus made it clear. I mean, the demands, they weren't, when he rebukes Peter, his demands are clear. But we just, we soften it all down. We take the words of Jesus and we try to, we try to make them more palatable to us. You ever heard people use the phrase like, have you ever heard the phrase, that's my cross to bear? You ever heard that? Yeah, and, and like people say like, you know, well, I've got, to, I've got to babysit my little sister. And somebody's like, oh, man, you can't come to the movies? No, I've got to babysit my little sister. I, teenagers don't say this, but, you know, but, oh, that's my cross to bear. No, it's not. Not unless your little sister's trying to kill you. Like, it's not your cross to bear. You just have to babysit because it's your responsibility. You know, they go, well, gosh, I, you know, they gave me this big assignment at work, and I'm going to be here till 11 o'clock every night this week, and it's just my cross to bear. No, it's not. not. Not unless your job, it might take your life. But we, we've even taken this idea of a cross and put it on necklaces and, 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 and engraved it on our Bibles. And, and we use it in this generic, soft, namby-pamby way. There, there was a board game. I got a picture of it um, back from the 50s. Can you get that? Check this out. It was a board game that Parker Brothers made called Going to Jerusalem. Like Monopoly for Christians. But instead of getting like a, a little dog or a top hat, you got a full-on shepherd who had a robe and sandals and a staff and a beard. And you started in Bethlehem and you rolled the dice. It actually came with a little black New Testament and you had to answer questions and you moved to the Mount of Olives and you moved to Capernaum and, and you moved. And at the end, you got to the triumphal entry, what we celebrate right before Easter, where Jesus comes into Jerusalem and they lay palm branches down for him and they sing Hosanna and that's how the game ends. You made it. The game leaves off that it doesn't end there. The cross comes a few days after that where Jesus is executed like a common criminal. It actually doesn't include that he's resurrected and saves the world, but that's, that's the end of it, the triumphal entry. And, and as, you, as you play the game, you do different things, but, but all the stories about healing people, there's no stories about confronting demons. There's no stories in there about angry Pharisees. It's all like fun and games and let's go be Jesus on the way to Jerusalem and there's no cross. Guys, I'm telling you, if you want to be spiritually mature, if you want to be somebody who, who is a disciple who makes disciples, you will have to come to the point where you're willing to put the priorities of God over your own priorities. So here's your application. Here, here's what you do. If you go, okay, I, I'm, I'm listening. What do I do? I'm gonna give you a very easy thing. You, you need to think through what it is that is keeping you, what's the obstacle that's keeping you from walking with the Lord? What is that thing that you cannot say no to? For some of us, let's just be really honest. It's not just here, it's all over the United States, all over where we live. For some of us, whatever our coach calls of us to do, is the thing we can't say no to. Sports has become our God. Academics 
and the pursuit of what we think our future will be has become our God. For some of you, it's a relationship you're in. Boyfriend or girlfriend has become your God. And it is, that's the obstacle that you can't say no to. That's the obstacle that keeps you from doing the things that God would call you to do. And so it's hindering you moving down that disciple's path to spiritual maturity. You probably know what at least one of those obstacles are. There may be several. But, but this week, this week, let's just, just take one. Let's take a baby step together. What is one? I've asked the guys to, to just lay down some music for a second. Because I want you to have a time to process and think. And I want you talking to a friend. So, I mean, bow your heads, close your eyes, look down. If you're, if you're not clued into what's been going on tonight, just for the person sitting next to you who's right on the verge of a spiritual breakthrough because you care about them, leave them alone for a few minutes. I'm gonna ask you to do this. If you don't know what it is that's captured your life, you don't know what it is that you can't say no to that's been this hindrance to you being able to deny yourself, then I wanna ask you during this time, you just ask God to reveal it to you. You just, you just ask God, God, show me what it is that is this obstacle to me that I can't say no to, to following you. And if you've already identified what it is, I'm just gonna give you a few minutes. We're not taking a long time, just a few minutes of quiet. For you to have a conversation with the Lord, Lord, what does it look like for me to have people in my life, to have some disciplines of getting into your word and praying, to have a small group come around me to help me seek you out and learn how to deny myself and take up my cross and follow you. Give you a few seconds to pray and think and then I'll close this out in a second. Radical gratitude. There's a there's a story that's told. It's a true story. A guy named Jerry who went to Moscow, Russia, on a mission trip, and the, the mission trip was going to be in prisons. They were doing some ministry with Prison Fellowship International, and they had a, several prisons that they were supposed to go to during the course of their trip. And they finished them all. They, they, and they still had a couple days left. And so Jerry and some of the team looked at their guide that was taking him. And they said, "Hey." Are there any hospitals or schools or some other places that we could just go and minister since we've accomplished all the things we want to accomplish? And the guy made some phone calls and he, he took him to 
the only children's hospital in Moscow. And so Jerry and his team went in, and what they, what they experienced is something so totally foreign, anything they'd seen in America. Because there were no nurses. There was a cafeteria, but there was no food in it. There, there was no sanitation process. The medicine was, was hardly any at all for people. Really, it was a place that these kids would come to, and if they were lucky, a doctor might be able to help them. But no nurses, no safety, no, no medicine. It was a pretty dire place. And Jerry, he's just a common guy. Jerry, Jerry said, was asking, and they brought a 14-year-old girl to him. She didn't look 14 because she was emaciated. Hair was thin, circles under her eyes. He came and sat down next to her. She spoke Russian. He didn't. He's going to be able to pray for her. And he asked the interpreter that was there, he said, what, what is her name? And the interpreter said, her name is Eugenia. And it stopped his heart. Couldn't breathe. Because he knew that when he went back home in a day or two, he was going back to his own teenage daughter who just so happened to be named Eugenia. And, and the Spirit of God began to move in his life. And he started asking, what can we do for Eugenia? And they said, the medicine that we have, the medicine that she needs in America would cost $18,000. She's cancer. $18,000 American dollars and that we will not ever have that. She's got about four months to live. And Ed looked at his, I mean, Jerry looked at his friend Ed who was there and he said, Ed, if we go home and I sell my car, will you sell your truck so we can buy medicine for this girl? In true story, Ed looked at him and said, I don't know why I keep coming on trips with you. He said, I'm in. I'm in. Let's do it. And they went back home. And I don't even know if they sold their truck and their car. But I know what they did is they got on the phone. They started making phone calls. And they started, started working some networks. And the Spirit of God was already moving. And a local children's hospital in America donated tens of thousands of dollars worth of medicine to Ed and Jerry to pack it up in, in uh, dry ice and to take it back on that plane to Moscow and to get that girl the medicine she needed. And then over the next months and years, those two guys started a ministry that raised millions of dollars and has turned that hospital into a training hospital that is now training doctors and sending them out from there. And on one of those return trips pretty early on, he brought that medicine back and then came back another time. Jerry walked into the hospital, and as he was coming down the hallway, down at the other end of the hallway, was a lady. It happened to be Eugenia's mother. Eugenia's mother came right towards him. And in her broken English, because she doesn't speak English, and she threw her arms around Jerry. She said, you are Jesus, are you not? A truck is a good thing car is a good thing. But there's going to be some times when the Lord calls you to deny yourself because the priorities of the kingdom are more important than your own priorities. And I want us to close with the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In verse 25, he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? But what shall a man give in return for his soul? 
for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he's done. See, Jerry got it. That to deny myself might mean giving up my car. To deny myself might mean buying a couple airplane tickets back and forth to Moscow. To deny myself might mean taking my vacation from work to go and share the gospel and medicine with people so that a mother can see her daughter live and know that Jesus was involved. What good is it if you gain the world and all the things you want, but you lose your soul? Spiritually mature people realize and they get that it's actually better to deny yourself to take up your cross and follow the Lord. So the question you wrestle with the rest of this week, and we'll talk about in our small groups on Sunday, are you willing to be that person? Let's pray.